Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to gain actionable advice, learn about current market trends, and hear war stories from other professional investors out there in the field today. Before we get started, I have two quick housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like the episode, we would very much appreciate a like, subscribe, and share. It is the best way to support the show and keep it running. Second, if you are a new investor looking to get started in real estate or an experienced investor looking to take your investing to the next level, we created an ebook for you that will cover how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance those deals with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. On top of that, I throw in an insane amount of free bonuses that you'll have access to once you buy the ebook. All we charge is our admin cost to keep the show running. So, if you're serious about real estate investing and want to create both active and passive income as an investor, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com and click on the button that says get the ebook to grab yourself a copy today. So with that said, let's dive right in. Today we have a very special guest with us ready to drop some investor knowledge on you. So buckle up, grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride. We have another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. This time, we're coming live with Aaron Chapman. Aaron is a finance guru in the investing sphere. I'm really happy to have him here. He started his journey back in way back in 1997 in mining, heavy equipment operations, welding, and long-haul truck driving. Since then, he's transitioned into finance exclusively, working with real estate investors. I am ple- It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Aaron. How are you today? Thanks, Gabe. I'm doing very, very well. Just excited to have an opportunity to speak to your audience and um, and, and yourself, you know, because every time I talk to somebody new, I get more information to be able to apply to what I've got going on and focus my energy a little bit more on the uh, success of myself and those who I do business with. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, that's the reason that I do this is to learn from others. So um, I, I love that your story started in, you know, heavy equipment operations, welding, long haul truck driving. That's, I, that's such a good... Uh, I don't know. I, I it's um, it's a great start to to get to where you are today because it's so different. So, kind of take us into your story. How did you get from point A to now? You know, doing I can't remember the number that you told me, but it was an astronomical number of uh, of loans this this previous year. Yeah, so we're we're doing over a hundred transactions a month is what I'm getting done, which is really like you said, it's astronomical. Uh, when the average person in my industry is doing you know three to four. And we're doing 100 plus, I mean, 998 year to date. And it's just because we've, we've been very, very disciplined about the construction of the business. Is it perfect? Far from it. I've got a phenomenal team that helps me get where I need to get. Like you said, you got to start from somewhere. And I started, you know, when I started really working, it was back um, on a cattle ranch in my high school years. My family had a cattle ranch in central Utah. From there, I was able to graduate early from high school. And not from from working my ass off at school. I cheated my ass off to get that C <laughs> just so I could get out. But I had enough credits to leave halfway through my senior year. And I went to work in the oil fields of Wyoming for a welding company. From there, I did the truck, uh, heavy equipment thing, truck driving. Um, then I had the opportunity to go in the mines in northern New Mexico with my dad. Because we had sold the cattle ranch and he went back to what he knew, which was, which was uh, hard rock mining. I had a phenomenal job, man. I got to, it was 10 yards away. I had my wife and my kid here. I would go back to go up there, 10 hour drive. We'd stay on mine property in these cabins down in the canyon. We'd work 10 hours a day drilling, 
blasting, digging it out, supporting the ground. I mean, you're playing with explosives. It was a phenomenal <laughs> job. Loved it. Um, and then they started shutting down the project. And when they started shutting down the project, they were laying people off and I got laid off. So when I came back, I thought, this is not going to be a big deal. I mean, I've got a pretty good resume for a 23-year-old person. I could get something pretty easily. And I wasn't getting any bites on my resume. I kept getting the word overqualified. Like, and I even got Bullshit. to the point yeah. where I went in and, and attempted to get a $10 an hour truck driving job to haul landscape rock. So I can definitely get this piece of crap job. I mean... I mean, and, and I'm not trying to crap on people that are driving truck. Believe me, I did uh, whatsoever because that was something I enjoyed. Um, I'm like, I hated the landscape rock thing. You drive people's house, you back up, you dump, right? But I'm like, I will take that. And I went in there, I applied. They did the overqualified thing again. And I'm literally at that point, a broken man as I'm walking out yeah. to my pickup. I sit in there, tears are streaming down my cheeks. And I just, it, it, it hit me. It was amazing what, what it did to me, the low that I was in life. And I had this coupon that my wife gave me for diapers because we were out of diapers and we couldn't afford anymore. So she got a diaper, uh, a coupon for free diapers. And I left that that uh, yard driving towards a grocery store. As I'm driving towards the store, my gas light comes on in my truck. So I pulled up to the gas pumps outside the grocery store just on the corner, ran my debit card because that's all I had to make payment with. And I got a decline because I was overdrawn. I start rifling through my truck and I found a few coins and then I decided to start walking the parking lot. I walked the parking lot of that store for two hours to find enough change to get two gallons of gas. By the time I got that gas and went in, found the corresponding diapers, I'm walking out of the store and I end up face to face with a guy that used to do all the schedule work on the office work, uh, basically ran the office for the company I used to dig swimming pools for several years before. He asked me what was going on in my life, and I explained things just as I just did now. And he said, let me take you to dinner. I've got a gift certificate for Red Lobster. I'll take you and your wife to dinner, and we scheduled for, I think, the next night or the following. And we went out to dinner, and that is where he slid me the business card for a, for a mortgage broker. And he suggested I call that guy. I'm like, I don't know what a mortgage is. The only thing I knew about mortgage was on TV. There's the old man, the old lady losing the farm to the bank for this thing called a mortgage. I didn't understand it. Well, he convinced me to go talk to him. I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some clothes so I could look semi-professional. <laughs> and I went in there and they started me off as a telemarketer. So I spent a few weeks as a telemarketer building up some, some leads. And then I convinced the broker to allow me to work some of the leads. And that's when I started as a in the mortgage industry. And from then I got a job driving trucks. So I drive to, to Sacramento and back, then Vegas and back, then work in the office three days a week. That wasn't working. So I went back to running heavy equipment. I got a job back at the old company I was at. They had gotten busier again. So I went back to running equipment, get up at 3 a.m., work till noon. And from 2 p.m. till 10 p.m., I work in the office. I slept four hours a night for a year till the market dipped enough that the rates dropped under 7%. And I was able to start making it up. 7%? Wow. Yeah, 7% on, on primary residence. <laughs> wow. Um, that's where it all started. And it was not easy from there. It was a just a steep, ugly, rocky, you know, snake infested climb to get to the point where I started to really see what what wealth was within the mortgage industry. But I got cocky. I got really cocky coming into the 2008 crash, thinking I was the man. I can do whatever I wanted. And when it came crashing down, not only did the market come crashing down, but I got in a motorcycle accident August 8th of 2008. Here in Phoenix. And I don't know if you've ever been in Phoenix on, in August. It's 12, <laughs> 24 in the afternoon. 
oh, it's ridiculous. You know, 1224 in the afternoon, 80 plus miles per hour. I got taken out, went flipping down the freeway. Luckily, I spun out the car behind me when I hit her and she blocked traffic. But I laid there and baked on that pavement for about 20 minutes till they were to get me scraped up. So I woke up in the hospital with a beard and um, and completely obliterated financially. I'd lost all my real estate. I'd lost all everything in the market. Um, job was gone. Industry was collapsed. And uh, I had to start at zero. So where I, I, I went into that accident worth over $3 million on paper. I came out of that hospital in a wheelchair, six foot one, 155 pounds w- with a in, in debt, of almost $2 million. Jeez. So Man. that's where it all started, really. <laughs> and that is, uh, you know, I, it's, it's heart wrenching to hear, but I love, um, I love hearing those stories because so many stories kind of, um, kind of reflect your own. I, I mean, yours is, is very extreme. Um, but so many people go through that where they kind of hit rock bottom. And I even remember back when I was, uh, I, I graduated college in uh, 2008. Um, and so I was like, I was pounding the pavement for a job. And I just remember, you know, sitting at my computer, sending out resume after resume, getting rejection after rejection, going to interviews and just like sitting in my car and just being like weighted down, just like I am a abject failure. I can't, you know, I nothing's going to change in my life. Um, so I, I totally understand kind of where you're coming from, um, you know, with respect to that. And I love that you, you know, you, you dug yourself out of that hole. You, you hit rock bottom, you got into the mortgage industry. You were, you were, you were a rock star, just kicking butt. And then 2008 happened, you went back down and had to re dig yourself back out of that hole. Um, and it just, I mean, even below rock bottom, right? Nearly $2 million under rock bottom. You know, that's that's, that's how bad that was. But what you pointed out there was that, you know, I, I think I, my personal opinion is these type of things are the last form of natural selection left, right? We have we pretty much by by medicine we have pretty much prolonged life that in any other environment previous to the current technologies those lives would not have been prolonged. So we have we have nullified natural selection there. On top of that, we have legislated away personal responsibility. So what's left as far as natural selection in Aaron Chapman's opinion is those who take a header into the concrete and get back up and those who stay there and lick their wounds and say, pay me now to stay here because I'm hurt, right? Everybody's going to get hurt. The thing of it is that is life. Life is designed to break you. And what you get to know when you take a header in the concrete, you get to know whether you not whether or not you got the balls to get back up. We get to decide, are those things there for decoration or are they really attached? Yep, absolutely. And I, I could not agree more. And, uh, if, you know, if you're listening to this, you're watching this episode um, and you've, you're you in a point where you hit rock bottom, just know from both of our stories that everybody goes through that. And it really, this is the moment where you have to make a decision and it kind of defines who you are. Can you pick yourself up and, uh, and keep going forward? Because, um, you know, you can, it is possible. You just have to make that decision. So I love well, that. Because you two of us never met each other before. And we can share a very similar story about that rock bottom and trying to find that job. Everybody goes through it. In fact, there's probably tens of thousands of people going through it right now. It's the person who stays persistent in trying to find it is the one who's going to win. There is going to be a large percentage of them. They're just going to give up. So because they're giving up and you being the one or two that does not give up, 
you will get what the others failed to get because they didn't move forward. Just stay at it. It's always going to work out. It always does. Consistent persistence works. But the one thing you got to be you got to be cautious with consistent persistence is you can be consistently persistent in something stupid. And if you do that, you're just building crap. If you're consistently persistent in something awesome, you're going to get there. It's not swift, but it is certain. Yep, absolutely. Consistency and persistence is uh, is the key, especially when it comes to success. Um, so you have a really great perspective. Uh, you, you invest in real estate and you are heavily involved in the mortgage um, mortgage aspect of this. So the financing side of closing, you know, a full acquisition. Um, so I want to go into kind of uh, your opinion on um, on where we're headed when it when it comes to rates. Um, so I mean, right now, I think I, I so I'm closing on a duplex out in um, uh, in Cleveland, and I shoot, what was our rate? I think it was three point. I can't remember three point one seven or something like that. Some, something stupidly low. And yep. so, what in your perspective? You're in the industry. You have you know the the back end knowledge. Where does this go from here? Well, do you have the capability to uh, give it to where I can share a screen? Um, I do. Or something like that, because I want to get into some real deep uh, things here about that question. Um, for one, I just to answer the question, I believe just from what the Fed is doing, tracking what the Fed is doing, putting in billions of dollars per day in the mortgage-backed securities market, I believe that interest rates, according to what we're being told, should stay pretty solid for the next till about 2023 we're going to stay fairly really? somewhere in this range yeah fed has already said that they have an open checkbook to, to continue to invest in the markets for the next till 2023 so when you look at what drives interest rates in fact i'll even i'll even show it you've got the mortgage-backed securities and that's what drives our interest rates so as as the money is being traded on the day-to-day basis money going in here is what's going to it's it's a supply and demand thing right the more money in the mortgage-backed securities market the lower the rates go because they have a larger supply. The lower the supply, the higher their interest rates go. So if you look here, the supply has shrunk a little so bit. For, for people listening, um, Aaron and I are looking at uh, at a graph that he's pulled out of ratewatch.com. Um, and it shows, uh, can you kind of go ahead and explain this graph, um, you know, you know, in words for the people that are that are on the podcast? Sure. And those who are watching, you can see what we're talking about. I moved into a 10-day trading period. So what we show is, is there's something what they call Japanese candlesticks. And you can actually go into um, mortgagenewsdaily.com slash MBS, as in mortgage-backed security, and you can see the, you can see the chart in the middle of the page. I always look at the Fannie Mae 3.0, or 3.0 coupon, because that's basically telling me where the rates are going when it comes to real estate investors. So if you're looking at one of these particular charts, you'll see the different candles. Those candles represent a day's trading. If it's a green candle, wherever it started is at the bottom end of the of the wide green portion of the candle, and where it stopped at the end of the day is the top of the green. And you'll see the wicks that go to the bottom and the top showing you it's traded that far down and that far up before it settled on its start price and its end price. If it's a red one, that means it started at a higher point and ended at a lower point, meaning there's a lot of sell-off that day. Now, we're looking at a specific day, October 13th of this year, just a couple of days ago. It started, it opened at 104.53 and it closed at 104.38. So the difference between that is right around, it's not quite 25 points, but it's pretty right in there, right? Actually it is, it's 25 basis points, 25 basis point difference. What that means is at the beginning of the day, 
Let's say you had a 3.5 rate percent offer to you and it was par. By the end of that day, when they open up uh, the market the next morning and issue rates, that same rate would cost you a quarter of a percent for the exact same rate the next day because we lost a 25 basis points or a quarter of a percent in the market. Therefore, the cost of that money is a quarter percent higher. So if you want the same rate, it's going to cost you a quarter more. As you can see, the following days, we traded at the bottom and stayed at the bottom pretty much. We came up a little bit of that. And then today we opened up into a much better space, which is higher than we were within the last 10 days. Actually, we're pretty close. We're, we're going back into a trading channel of where we've been the last uh, last month. But we go into the max of what I can see. I can see the last two years. As you can see, rates have, the, the market has trended upward, meaning the market has had a lot of investment capital go into it. Therefore, the interest rates have trended down significantly in the last two years. The big disruption we see here is back in March of this year when COVID hit. Mm. And you see this massive sell-off, huge sell-off. Interest rates spiked overnight. We couldn't figure out at first why they spiked so much, but then we realized when the stock market crashed at that time or just dropped like crazy, banks, people, you know, we put our money into banks, right? We, they hold it in their checking accounts and savings accounts, correct? It doesn't just sit there in their vault, right? They've got to put that money to work to go go earn money so they can pay us our little pittance, right? But that's how banks make money is take our money and make money off of it and pay us a little tiny bit. Well, they had margin calls on mortgage back uh, on on their uh, investments in the stock market. And other 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 markets had their money had these massive mortgage margin calls. Well, how do you take care of a margin call? You got to you got to throw money out there, right? They had to sell their assets to get there. They sold bonds. So here's where they sold off a significant amount till we got to March 19th. That's where the Federal Reserve kicked in and said, hmm, we need to do something here. The Federal Reserve, March 20th, dumped in over a trillion dollars and stopped on March 30th. Ten days over a trillion dollars was dumped into the market to get the market stabilized and back on its trajectory. So because of that, and then what they started doing, it, when you start getting into uh, April and starting into May, they're doing upwards of eight to ten billion dollars a day to keep the market where it was because of all the demand on the mortgages. And they've continued up until about I think it's somewhere right around in August, September. They're doing between uh, uh, between uh, four and five billion a day now, between three and four billion dollars a day to ma to maintain that. But they've also backed off a little bit, but our interest rates are still staying significantly low. So because of that, we're keeping these rates, and the Fed had said. We're going to continue to maintain this to about 2013, uh, 2023. Now, here's the worry about this. Have you ever been to John Williams Shadow Stats? Uh, no, I haven't. You definitely got to check that out. They show they show where where the real rate of inflation is. In fact, I'm going to to stop the screen share. I'm going to pull it up and I'll show you what I'm talking about here. So, we get into uh, Shadow Stats and we start seeing what the real rate of inflation is. And the reason I bring up inflation is. If the Fed is putting this kind of money into the mortgage-backed securities markets, where is it coming from? Yep, exactly. You know, and right now they're the ones that are in charge of the um, in charge of the uh, the the monetary, basically, basically how much money is in the market. They go to the treasury and say, print us, print us more money. Well, look at the monetary supply, as we can show right here. Monetary supply is through the roof. We, I mean, it spikes straight up. Yep. This is 2020. They're printing money wow. like mad to, to put into the markets. The Federal Reserve is the largest holder of bonds. Federal Reserve is the largest holder of corporate bonds. I think second largest holder of corporate bonds. And uh, for those uh, 
for the those listening. I know what? a private banking entity owns all of this with our money that was printed that has no value. It, it's absolutely insane when you consider this. So the other thing I like to get into with shadow stats is talk about inflation. We're being told that inflation is sub 2%, correct? Mm-hmm. This is the inflation numbers. When you look at these charts, if you go to shadowstats.com, those who are listening and go uh, to the top, you'll see an alternate data tab. You'll scroll down to inflation. You click on inflation, you can see these charts. Well, you start seeing where they were tracking inflation way back in the 70s, I believe, or 80s. And is this, uh, this chart is based on um, percentage points, right? So that's a 15% in inflation back in, what was that, 1980? That had to be, yeah, right around, actually, probably even further back. It might have been in the late 70s. Okay, wow. That's and then you crazy. see in the early 80s, like 1982, 1983, that all of a sudden there's this split here. Well, it's because that's when they started changing what they were tracking for the consumer price index or the personal consumption expenditures index. So when they started changing those indexes and what they were stacking in the index, just like if they took different stocks out of the Dow, you'd have a different value, right? Uh, They started taking out different goods to get where their value was. So now we start seeing inflation trending down, but they don't factor in food cost. They don't factor in energy cost. Do they factor in taxes in inflation? Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> and there's got to be parts of housing that are not in this when you start seeing the appreciation in, in, in cost of housing. You start looking at this, they're actually tracking rents is what they're really tracking. You start looking at this, you start seeing this decline in inflation when in reality, food is up. I mean, the meat index is up over 18% year over year. Hmm. When was the last time a person on this call paid less on their, do- their water bill per gallon of water used? Right. When was the last right. time a person paid less just for the groceries you purchased? Yeah. It's not happening. So now we're looking at inflation nationally sitting somewhere right around 9%. Interesting. So when you factor in inflation, the reason I bring that up is we get to raise rents as, um, as uh, let, me get, let me go back out of the stop share here. So we get to raise rents to pace inflation, correct? Yep. The national average has been about 3.6% last I saw in the apartment indexes. Recently, there was a new publishing saying it's down below that in the twos. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't make sense to me because I deal with a lot of real estate investors buying single families and they're going up three plus. So I did some more research and it turns out when you look at the densely populated areas like New York, densely populated areas like, like San Francisco, where people are leaving, they're dropping rents by double digit percentages to attract people in. Densely populated areas are affecting the national numbers. So real estate investors are like, whoa, rates are, in, in, rents are going down. They're really not. Because none of the real estate investors I do business with invest in those areas. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yep. Right. Cash flow is just not there. You can't find it. Precisely. So densely populated areas are having a heavy effect on reality, or at least generalized numbers. When you get into reality, reality is different. So let's just say you get to raise rents on, and I'm going to share with you another screen here. Uh, I've got this spreadsheet. I had the professor of accounting at Kennesaw State University reach out to me after hearing a podcast where I got to talking about long-term leverage being an asset. <laughs> and when you look at that, let's say you get a, a property for $100,000, you can rent it for $1,000 a month. Okay, that's and great. 1% ratio there. 1% ratio, right? Pretty normal. And you get to raise the rents. Year, let's say you're getting $200 a month in cash flow and you raise the rents year number two by th- by 3%. What is 3% of 1,000? Uh, it's three of a thousand. That's uh, three, three. Why can't I do this math? 30. 30 bucks. I know everybody wants to say 300. And they get disappointed when they're like, well, well, wait a minute. It's only 30 bucks. It's only 30 bucks. But here's where 30 bucks becomes sexy. 
Year one, you had a $200 a month cash flow, right? Yep. Year two, granted, you know, there might be some fluctuation in taxes and insurance, but probably not much in year two. Is it reasonable to believe you get now $230 in cash flow in year two? Uh, provided that you take out inflation. Well, we're not talking inflation. We're talking dollars. Okay. Okay. $230, right? Yep. Yep. That's a 15% compound increase in your cash flow. That's great. Every time you raise rents at 3% in this environment, it's a 15% compound growth in your cash flow. That becomes extremely sexy. 30 bucks became sexy. Now, looking at this chart, what I'm showing you here is a $100,000 purchase, 20% down with an $80,000 loan amount, right? So that I'm guessing, and, and these rates are not right. We're doing rates in the mid threes like you were talking about earlier. We're looking at 4.5% interest rate just for the sake of this, this exercise. We're looking at annual inflation of 7%, which is lower than what we showed on shadow stats. We're looking at a $405 a month principal and interest payment on this transaction for a total of $65,925 in interest, which equals $145,925.37 in principal and interest over 30 years, right? Some people want to pay this off early because, whoa, if I pay it off early, I won't pay so much interest. Here's where I'm going to tell you, you leverage high, you leverage long, you pay off slow. Because if we look at the value of the dollar over 30 years, 360 payments that they're making of $405 a month, is the value of the dollar the same now as it is 30 years from now, or is it less? Or is it more? Uh, In 30 years, the value of the dollar is going to be less. Significantly less. In fact, $405.35 30 years from now will be equal to $49.94. Wow. That is the co- that's going to be the cost of a latte in 30 years. I, don't, I guarantee it. <laughs> I, I believe that. I'll go to Starbucks and pull out 50 bucks. I can see that. Easy, right? But when you when you recalculate every dollar's value as you're paying back that 145925 for 360 months, look at what the total value of those dollars actually is. $60,926.91. $60, so, so this is why you're going into the very specific um, numbers regarding why uh, leveraging works. And there's there's people on both sides of the camp. Um, you know, you shouldn't leverage. You should leverage. I'm in the you should leverage era, you know side of that camp. And and this is a good demonstration of why um, why it works in the long run. It really does work in your favor. Hundred percent works in your favor when you can borrow somebody else's money and pay them back with little pittance over a period of time, we can see exactly what happens here. You know, this is why leverage is actually, the leverage is the most valuable piece of it. So what I like to, uh, I had a thought that popped in, now it just dissipated. But ultimately, when you're talking about the the leverage piece and people thinking, oh, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to do the leverage. And you start considering the fact that, you know, you have the capability to borrow somebody else's money like that, like I said, and they're going to willing to take it for that long period of time, you know, you start to understand, wonder why is it they're willing to do that? Let's think about this. Why would the banking industry offer 30-year loans when they understand inflation? But I've been doing this for 23 years and something that I've noticed, there seems to be a refi boom every four to five years, right? Have you ever looked at an a thirty year amortization table and see what a, what the first five years looks like? It's all interest. All interest. <laughs> you can convince 
an entire population to lock in for 30 years and agree to 30 years because you get that big, warm, comfortable uh, 30-year blanket to keep yourself safe, but then you cook the deal in a way to front load the interest the first five years, then convince them to continue to refinance it every four to five years. You've not paid down much principal. Now you've added three to 5,000 to the principal because you finance your closing costs in. You may have dropped your interest, but you're only paying interest. Yep, absolutely. Think about that. People are being held in financial servitude when they follow the standard banking uh, process and the, the marking that they do about refi for rate. I encourage my investors never refi for rate. That, right so that, that's, what I was, uh, that's what I was going for there. Um, I like takeaways. So I, I, I really like when we, when we can give our listeners something that they can actionably take. It sounds like from everything that you've said here, uh, I mean, you just said it there. You are not a fan of refi. You're not a fan of refinancing to, to take away some of those points on your mortgage. Stay in your mortgage what, as you're in those, those high um, principal payment months. Precisely. Unless you're going to pull cash out. I do cash out loans like crazy for people to pull money out and invest in real estate. But if you're doing it just for rate, look, what you, we just showed you what, what happens. You're not getting anywhere. You're actually, you're, you're, think about it this way. How many people have complained about their stockbroker that he makes money every time he trades, yet he's never made me a damn dollar? <laughs> Always sold it and bought it at places that I never make any money, but he makes money. Yeah. How often have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because they're, they're moving the money. They're trading. All mortgages are is a trade. That's it. We just showed you with the market. Every time you close one out, that's a sale of, the, of, of, a, of, a, of a security. And every time you get a new one, it's a sale of a new security. It's just like your stock broker selling. So Wall Street's making money either way. And then the banking industry gets to collect the interest on that. You are constantly feeding an industry. So I'm telling you, if it's for rate, never do it because the rate doesn't matter. It matters nothing at all for the real estate investor. Why? Because who's paying the rate in reality? If you're buying, if you're doing, if you're a responsible real estate investor and you bought the right property in the right place that stays reasonably rented for the entire time you own it, who's paying the, the mortgage? Your tenants. Your tenants paying the mortgage. Okay. So if we take an $80,000 loan, you divide it over 30 years, that's equal to $2,666.66 per year. If you put a $20,000 investment, your investment is growing by 13.33% of the original investment every single year. Now, that's number one growth before anything else. Now, secondly, you get to write off the ta- on your taxes what interest they paid. So if you've got a setup now, you've got a certain amount of cash flow and you've got a certain amount of write-off, right? Because you get the tax deduction of the interest. And then you go refinance just for the rate and term. Now you've dropped your the interest rate, right? You've increased your cash flow, therefore increased your potential of tax liability, and you've decreased your interest rate, which was you decreased your potential tax deduction. Did you really accomplish what you thought you were going to accomplish? No, you didn't. You got maybe a little bit, but in reality, the the end result is not what you intended it to be. And then when you figure out that all you did was added more to your loan that you're going to pay interest on over a period of time, that you're going to go back into an interest-heavy period, you have literally screwed yourself. Yep. So the main takeaway here is when you're looking at refinancing, don't do it for rates. However, it does not apply for the Burr strategy. Um, I, I'm still, I mean, you might have a different opinion uh, here, but when it comes, actually, you said this just a second ago, 
Burr's strategy still works. If you're refinancing to take equity out of the property, it still makes sense because then you can leverage that to buy more properties and, and grow your portfolio. If you're just refinancing. Yep. Yeah, I do tons of Burr's. I did probably 20% of my business is Burr's, Burr loans. And I'm doing over 100 a, lo- 100 a month. So you know damn well how much I'm involved in Burr's. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, shoot, Aaron, I, I I love everything you're saying right now. You're giving great, great wisdom bombs. We are, we've already passed the 20 minute mark. So I have to push us, uh, we have Sorry. to push us towards the end. Um, so I'm going to push us into the quick question round. I'm going to ask quick questions. You give quick answers. Starts with books. I'm a huge bookie. So give us two book recommendations, one for real estate investing and then one for just general life wisdom. Okay. So real estate investing, I'm going to have to be a little bit selfish here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to plug my four books. Um, I've got 13 books that are coming out. What is one full book, but I'm breaking it down into individual chapters come out and I wrap the chapter with a, with a cover and I send it out. It's called the quit jerking off initiative. <laughs> book number one is point your head and heart. Your ass, your ass will follow. Book number two is gratitude to practical application. Book number three is quit jerking off. Book number four is steel running as you steel chainsaw. All right. And that's the point where I have the hat on. I love my experiences in life and real estate investment. And can these be found on uh, on Amazon? Amazon. Just type in QJO initiative as in quit jerking off initiative and just do a search and you'll find all four of them on there. I've got uh, four more to publish here soon. Perfect. I love it. Um, so now general, it sounds like those uh, that covered everything. So you just said uh, you just nailed it. Um, two covered birds everything, one but the greatest book I've ever picked up outside of scripture. Outside Script Yourself is a book called The Master Key System. Um, it is written by Charles Handel. It was a it was a correspondence course in 1910 that trains a person on how to control their thoughts. Mm-hmm. If a person is going to become successful, it's because they think the correct way and they focus their mind and their energy. If they're going to fail, it's because they think the incorrect way and they're not focusing at all. They're scattered. Mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill talked about that in his book, uh, Outwitting the Devil. And Napoleon Hill talked about the master key. It all came from that correspondence course. You can get it on Amazon for $3.99. It's the greatest book I've ever picked up. Read it right, though. It's you read it as if one chapter every day for your week, that same chapter over and over and over and over again, and do the exercise 24 weeks, and it will change your life. I love it. I'm always a fan of mindset books because I really do think that mindset is uh, is one of the keys to you know getting what you want in life. So great recommendation. Uh, moving on to the next question. And this one is about habits. Habits are the foundation of our life. So if you could point to one habit in your life that you feel has contributed the most to your success today, what would that be? I've had a morning routine for five years. I get up at 4.30. I have prayer. I sit down and I make my coffee. I sit down in my chair. I start reading those books. And the master key has always been a piece of my, that. I read scripture every day and I read it in a different business book every single day before I go do a workout. Love it. Morning routines are killer. Um, next question. And this is for your younger self. If you could go back to the Aaron who was, you know, sitting in that parking lot. Um, he just, you know, he just only had the, the money that he had in his hand to pay for gas, go to him, look him in the eye, shake his hand, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Make a plan and write it down. Uh, book number one I told you about in the Core Jerking Off Initiative explains what happened when I did that. And the outcome was amazing. If I would have done that decades ago, I, I, I would have no idea where I'd be sitting right now. Love it. Um, and this uh, this next question is an opportunity for you to brag. So uh, so flaunt your wings here. What is it that you are kick-ass at? What is your, what is your strength? My strength is taking a beat and get back up. 
Um, that if there's anything I can say that I can do better than Dan or anybody I've ever met is, is not only get beat on, it's st- get stepped on and get crushed. I can get back. There's no such thing as person keeping me down. I love it. That is a, that is a, that is a very valuable skill um, just in life in general. So, um, and now we're on to the very last question. And this is for our listeners. Uh, you've given us great advice um, when it comes to mortgages and real estate investing and just how to live a good life. So people out there, I'm sure they want to reach out and get in contact with you. What would be the best way for them to do that? AaronBChapman.com. You can also just Google Aaron Chapman. Interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, there was a soccer player to take over all of it. Now you'll find me the first few <laughs> pages. He gets all the pictures, but I get all the, all the literature. And then, uh, you know, so yeah, go check out my website. In fact, I got a, you know, a shot from the website here. We're doing a campaign for human trafficking. Just scroll down the website. You'll see what we're all about there. Perfect. And that's Aaron Chapman, A-A-R-O-N-B Chapman.com. Um, and if you click the little more in the description of this episode, it'll pop down the full description. And in there, you'll be able to find the URL for Aaron's website. So click through, say hi to Aaron. Um, We've also got a YouTube channel out right now, the Quit Jerking Off Initiative, where we take people out. It's much like a podcast. We take them out for uh, rock crawling, long range shooting, bow fishing, fly fishing all day long, get footage. And then we sit around the campfire and have that deep discussion like we had here. Oh, man, that sounds that sounds awesome. I love that. Um, well, hey, Aaron, I, I loved having you on here. Thank you for, for hopping on. Um, for everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason that we do this. So we appreciate having you here. Again, the best way to support the show is just to subscribe, like, share this episode with your friends and family. Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely kick-ass week. Keep rocking it in real estate, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and were able to pull some actionable advice that you can go home with and apply to your own investing business. Before you go, I have a gift for you. If you're a new investor looking to get started or an established investor looking to take your business to the next level, I've created an ebook just for you available on the website. This ebook will cover how I was able to create both active and passive income in real estate with very little money to start with. In it, I will address the three most often cited obstacles new and veteran investors run into by showing you how to find a deal that's actually a deal, how to finance that deal with little to no money down, and how to exit a deal for maximum value. And if you get the ebook today, I'm going to bury you in bonuses, seven of them to be exact. First, you'll get the off-market lead generation blueprint, which will take you through the exact systems processes we use to generate off-market leads like clockwork, which is the most important skill when it comes to creating real wealth in real estate. Then you'll get the A to Z REI systems and vendors guide, which will allow you to peek under the hood of our business and see the exact tools and systems and even the vendors we use to grow our business. After that, you will get the top 100 best performing keywords pack, which will give you the exact keywords we use to target leads online and generate leads without having to lift a finger. Next, you'll get the contracts bundle for wholesaling and renting real estate, which will give you access to all of the contracts we use in the field to execute all types of transactions. After that, you'll get the investor's quick analysis calculator and offer tool, which will allow you to quickly calculate whether a deal is an actual deal and will allow you to create an offer automatically from those calculations. Next up, we'll give you the Investor's Daily Success Tracker, which is a tracker you can use to ensure you are taking the right actions day in and day out to reach your financial goals in real estate. 
And finally, you will get the wholesalers template for quick assignment cash, which will give you the templates we use to present our wholesale deals professionally and efficiently to our buyers. I know that is a ton of things to say. I'm glad you were able to stick with it. Uh, so you'll get both the ebook and all of those seven free bonuses when you download the ebook today. All we charge is the admin cost to run the show. So if you are interested in the ebook and the bonus bundle, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com. Click on get the ebook bundle at the top of the page and take advantage of that deal. With that housekeeping item covered, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic day and even better week. Keep rocking real estate, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.